The Jews made the mistake of thinking Abraham was good to go with God because he was circumcised. But Abraham was good to go with God because he believed God, because of his faith. Welcome to the Fox Den with Terry Fox. Greetings, everyone. Have you ever tried to be something or someone you're not? I'm fairly certain all of us have fallen into that trap. I think of my teenage years, eons ago, when I wanted to be a professional football player when I grew up. More specifically, I wanted to be Steve Largent, who was a wide receiver for the Seattle Seahawks. I even permed my hair so that my straight, lifeless hair was curly, just like his. I wore number 80 on my high school football team because he wore number 80. I did everything in my power to be like him. The only problem was, nothing I did made me Steve Largent or even of the same caliber. Though I tried, I was just Terry Fox, who didn't make it past high school football. In fact, I barely played high school football. All my efforts were fruitless. And I think the same principle applies here when it comes to righteousness. Righteousness is a requirement for entry into the kingdom of God. That means the unrighteous shall not enter God's kingdom. Take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. And there Paul says that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom. And then he lists several sins. Sexual immorality, idolatry, adultery, homosexuality, theft, greed, drunkenness, revilers, swindlers. And he says that these folks won't inherit the kingdom of God. So again, righteousness is a requirement for entry into God's kingdom. Whether you like it or not, the unrighteous are excluded. God is not inclusive as the culture demands. And quite frankly, the culture is not inclusive. They claim to be, but they exclude you as a believer in Christ. So the culture that claims to be inclusive is actually exclusive. And God is not inclusive. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. But here's the problem. You and I are unrighteous by our own merit. First, because we're from Adam's stock and guilty in him. Second, we've sinned on our own accord and in some of the ways that Paul just mentioned. We violated God's law in Adam and on our own. So we're already guilty and therefore unrighteous. So how do you become righteous when you're unrighteous? Well, you don't. You can't. Wait a minute, you're probably saying. I'm unrighteous and can't become righteous, yet righteousness is required to get into the kingdom of God. So how do I meet the righteousness requirement? You see the problem here, don't you? Therefore, since you can't be righteous by your own efforts or merit, you must be counted righteous by God. He must consider you or see you as righteous. This is where faith comes in. So the faith God gives you is the instrument by which you are considered righteous. Faith stands opposed to works. There is not a single good work that you can do to become righteous. There is no other way to meet the righteous standard but by faith. This is how Abraham was considered righteous. Take a look at Genesis chapter 15 verse 6. So verses 1 through 5, God has him go outside. He makes a promise. Abraham believes him. And God counts his faith as righteousness. And this is the point Paul illustrates in Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. Now let me take a moment to review the first three chapters of Romans. Paul takes considerable time to argue that both Jews and Gentiles 
which includes the entire human race, are sinful and guilty of violating God's law and therefore have no hope of justifying themselves by their works. No man will be considered righteous by his own efforts, works, or obedience to the law because he stands before a holy God guilty of violating his holy law. For example, a man who commits murder will always be guilty. If convicted, he may serve his prison sentence and may turn his life around. He may even do many good things for the community once he's released, but nothing can erase his crime. He is forever a murderer. The same is true with us. We are guilty before God, and nothing can change that, so we are forever guilty on our own accord. But God revealed a righteousness that is acquired apart from our perfect obedience to the law. This righteousness is acquired by faith in Jesus Christ. And God did this so that no man can boast about earning his salvation. Every believer stands before God with no good works to offer and needs the righteousness God offers through faith and faith alone. So Paul uses the Jewish hero and father, Abraham, to illustrate his point. Paul argues that if Abraham was justified by works, he could boast. But Paul is very clear in Ephesians that God saves people apart from works so that they cannot boast. Take a look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9. And there you see that the work of salvation is a gift of God, including the faith that he requires. Paul is saying that our salvation is a gift, and you offer no works at all, because if you did, it's not a gift, and then you could boast. But your salvation is a gift. It's not a result of works. Even the smallest work imaginable, no work impacts your salvation. That's the point Paul's making in Romans chapter 4. Abraham wasn't righteous by his own efforts. He met the righteous requirement in a different way. In Romans chapter 4, verse 3, Paul points us back to the Old Testament by quoting Genesis 15, 6. But so that we have a better understanding what's going on, let me go ahead and review verses 1 through 5. Now, as an introductory note, you need to know that Abram is Abraham. God changes his name later from Abram to Abraham, but just know that we're talking about the same guy. So God comes to Abram in a vision, and he tells him his reward is going to be great, and Abram tells God that because he's childless, Eliezer of Damascus is going to be his heir. And God tells him, no, you're going to have your own heir. So here he's promising a son. And so God takes him outside, and he has him look into the heavens, And he sees all those stars, and he tells him, this is how numerous your offspring will be. And in verse 6, it says that Abram believed God, and God counted his faith as righteousness. So the question we must answer to begin with is, what obedience did Abraham offer God to acquire his righteousness? Nothing. Abraham didn't act on God's command because God didn't give a command. God took him outside and made a promise, and Abraham believed him. So Abraham was considered righteous, not because he obeyed God's command, but simply because he believed God when God made a promise. And also, notice that God counted Abraham's faith as righteousness. Do you know what that means? Abraham wasn't righteous by his own actions and merit. In fact, If we were to examine Abraham's life, we would see sin. For example, he worshipped other gods before God called him. He lied about his wife twice in order to save his life. 
So Abraham wasn't squeaky clean. He was a scoundrel just like you and me. Yet God considered him righteous. He counted righteousness to him because he believed God and God put righteousness to his account when he was unrighteous. Paul supports his argument by saying David said the same thing. Paul points out in verse 6 that David spoke of blessing to the one whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Paul's referring to Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2. And there he says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Now, you might be saying, David doesn't say anything about righteousness by faith, but Paul, who was an apostle of Christ, says that it does say that. And Paul is the authoritative interpreter here. In other words, David is saying we are sinful, but blessed is the man whom God does not recognize his sin, yet covers it. And blessed is the man whom God counts no iniquity. And if God counts no iniquity, then that means God counts righteousness, the absence of iniquity. And this is how the Apostle Paul interprets Psalm 32, verses 1 through 2 in Romans 4. And that's what he says in verse 6. This is perfectly in line with how the Westminster Shorter Catechism defines justification. It says justification is an act of God's free grace wherein he pardons all our sins and accepts us as righteous in his sight only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. You see, justification is an act of God by which he bestowed his grace on us freely. You didn't earn it. And this is a one-time act. You're justified by faith. You can never be unjustified by your conduct. It's an act of God's free grace. Furthermore, God pardons all our sins, past, present, and future, and accepts us as righteous, but not based on our righteousness, based on the perfect righteousness of Christ imputed to us or put to our accounts. And how do we receive this? By faith, not by works. The Jews made the mistake of thinking Abraham was good to go with God because he was circumcised. But Abraham was good to go with God because he believed God, because of his faith. You see, Abraham was considered righteous by faith in Genesis 15. And then, in Genesis 17, he was commanded to be circumcised. In other words, he was considered righteous before he was circumcised. So, his circumcision wasn't a means to his righteousness— It was simply God's visible sign that God counted him righteous by faith when he was uncircumcised. That's what Paul says in verse 11. Paul also says that his circumcision was a seal of the righteousness he had by faith. What does Paul mean by this? A seal is a mark to authenticate something. For example, a signet ring created a seal as proof that a letter was sent by the owner of the ring. It proved the letter was authentic. So, circumcision served to authenticate that Abraham had received a righteousness outside himself, a righteousness received by faith alone. How did Abraham know he received this righteousness? His circumcision was proof that he received it. In other words, God proved to him that he credited Abraham with righteousness by faith because Abraham was circumcised. Again, that's the point that Paul makes here in verse 11. You are counted righteous in the same way as Abraham. God didn't give you faith to move mountains and cast out demons. Faith stands in opposition to works. Your faith, not works, is the instrument by which you receive this righteousness. 
Do you know what that means? You don't have to have great faith. Your weak faith is sufficient. Looking back at Romans 3, verses 21 and 22, Paul says that God's righteousness has been made known apart from the law, and his righteousness comes through faith in Christ. So righteousness isn't obtained by works and obedience, because Paul says in Romans chapter 3, verse 20, that no one's going to be justified by obedience to the law. You see, you stand guilty before a holy God. You have violated his holy law. You have no hope of becoming righteous according to your own actions. You need a righteousness outside yourself. For you who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, God has put his righteousness to your account. Even the weak faith he gave you is sufficient. So when God looks at you and sees faith, the faith he gave you, he sees righteousness. You are considered righteous the same way Abraham was, by faith. So what do we do with this? Well, I think a lot of people fear that they're just not doing enough to please God. Is he going to pull his salvation from me? Has my sin caused him to give up on me? Is he going to kick me out of the kingdom? Well, Paul makes an interesting statement in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. And he says that when I was a sinner, Christ died for me. You see, Christ Christ didn't die for you when you were good because you're not good. And Paul tells us that in Romans chapter 3. It's when you were evil that Christ died for you. It's when you hated him that Christ died for you. You did nothing to be rescued, and you can do nothing to be evicted from the kingdom of God. Your salvation is based solely on the grace of God, and he will never withhold his grace from you who are in Christ by faith. You need to constantly remind yourself of this. Also, give God thanks continually for his great gift of righteousness. And if you haven't done so already, listen to episode 48, where I talk about this magnificent gift from God. Christ met the righteous requirement for you because you were unable to do it on your own. And with that in mind, we should constantly give him thanks. But how do we do that? Well, there's a couple ways. First, you give God thanks verbally. Well, this makes sense. This is how we typically think of giving thanks to someone. But I think it's important to note that we don't just give thanks to God for food and material blessings that we enjoy, but that we remember often to thank him for meeting the righteous requirements on our behalf. So thank him for the redemption that is yours in Christ. Thank him that he has not held your sins against you. And then secondly, you thank God with your life. Paul often wrote his letters with Christian conduct based on Christian doctrine. What this means is that our conduct is based on the gospel. So, for example, if you look at the book of Ephesians, the first half is really about Christian doctrine, and the second half is really about Christian living. So, Christian living is based on Christian doctrine. And you can listen to episode 11, where I talk about thanking God with your life. So, our conduct is a way of saying thank you to God for the grace that he first extended to us in Christ. The Heidelberg Catechism, question 32, asks, But why are you called a Christian? And it answers this way. Because by faith, I am a member of Christ, and so I share in his anointing. I am anointed to confess his name, to present myself to him as a living sacrifice of thanks, to strive with a good conscience against sin and the devil in this life, and afterward to reign with Christ over all creation for all eternity. So the Catechism recognizes gratitude or thanks as an offering of ourselves. 
So in other words, why do you obey God? Because you're afraid you're going to go to hell if you don't? No. You lovingly obey God because of what he has done for you. It is a means by which we say thank you for this great gift of salvation. We are guilty of violating the law of God. We are unrighteous based on our own guilt in Adam and by our own individual sin. But glory be to God, he has given us his righteousness and we acquired it by faith. So those who recognize their own guilt and depend on the perfect life, death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ receive the righteousness of God. He has forgiven all our sins and considers us righteous because he gave us his righteousness. Therefore, you meet the righteous requirement only by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That concludes this episode. If you have any questions, please email me at terry at thefoxdenjournal.com. If you enjoy The Fox Den, please leave a positive review and share this podcast with others. And if you haven't done so already, please subscribe. The Fox Den is a member of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. Thanks for listening. And remember, faith comes by hearing.